you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, probably most of you have been here before, but if you're new, I'm Rusty, one of the pastors here. And we're going through a series that is a, a revision series of what, as a church, that we kind of have committed to as the core that, that drives us. And most certainly, it's one of the reasons why we do things like learning the Apostles' Creed is, as Tim said, we're reminded that at the center of who we are is we are a part of Jesus' grand church of all times, cultures, and places. We do not believe the kingdom of God begins and ends with Matthew's Table Church at all. We know that the church of Jesus, he has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This church could come and go and the kingdom of God would be secure. And we put our hope in that. And at the center of our hope in that is the good news of the kingdom. But we also as a church have some things we do that help us live that out together. And so many weeks here, I've just went back to this analogy that uh, was taken from someone else that if the, the juice is the gospel, well, the gospel is held by, by a cup, by a glass. And, and various local churches have different containers, different glasses, you might say, that hold that. So the main thing is the juice. The main thing is the gospel. Every week we want to be coming back to that. But we also are taking just this series to talk about what is the glass as a church that we've said we think will help us carry that gospel into people's lives so that they partake in the fullness of who Jesus is. We have a way that helps us remember this of one, two, three, four, five, six. And so we're going through that in, in the sermon series. And so the first one is the one we have one mission. That is to make the real Jesus known to the broken, burnout, and the bored. Two motivations we talk about. Instead of guilt, shame, or fear, we want to motivate one another with the power of the gospel, the, the, the propositional truths that we have been saved or being saved and will be saved, and by the purpose of the gospel, that we are a part of a bigger story that begun in Genesis will, will wrap up and really roll over into all eternity at the end of Revelation. We have three callings that we want to remind one another to live into. The great mandate that teaches us that all of life is worship. All of work is worship. But also the great command to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, and the great commission. And then out of that, we moved last week into our four identities. Disciples. It's the first one we talked about last week, and this week we'll talk about family, servant, and missionaries, and how those come together in what we call our missional communities. So if you would stand with me this morning, we're going to read from Acts chapter 2 and then go back to the Great Commission. We stand just to acknowledge physically with our bodies that we are hearing the Word of God. So Acts chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself... And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we hear this great commission from which that life flows out of in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. And we ask you today to sanctify us, your people, to set us apart by your truth. We thank you, Jesus, that you prayed for us, that we would know you, and that we would get to join you in the great mission of making God known. We pray today that you would help us, Holy Spirit. You would open our eyes to behold the wonderful things of your law. We pray that you would lead us to Jesus again, that you would help us to follow him in all the stuff of our everyday lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Veterans Day is this week, and so thank you for anyone who served. And also, it reminds me of my dad who uh, was in the Army, but my grandparents, uh, my grandfather was a prisoner of war for 19 months in Germany. One of his brothers died in the Battle of the Bulge, and four or five of his other brothers were also enlisted. They were all in it together, almost like a Saving Private Ryan sort of situation. And so I grew up with a lot of watching military-type movies. And I can't remember which particular movie it was, but I remembered one thing. It was probably really great for a, a young child to be watching. was a movie where somebody had been captured, and he was being interrogated. And they were trying to get him to give in, to give up, to make him know how lonely he was, how nobody was coming for him. And, and I remember as best that I can this scene uh, of he still had his dog tags and he was holding on to those dog tags. And what he, tried, what he started to do so that they couldn't break him is he started to recite his name. Then he would recite whatever uh, level of office he had and the, the larger company that he was a part of. And he would just repeat that. Whenever they would try to get any information out of him, he would just continue to repeat his identity. Not just his identity as an individual, he would say his name, but, and I can't remember, I was like, private, first class, right? He's saying his rank, he's saying his name, and he would say the larger company that he was a part of. 
As I thought about this sermon this morning and this call to remember our identity beyond just our individuality as the disciples, I thought about how hard it is for us in our lives when we seek to live as the people of God and particularly when we seek to live that out in community with others, how the enemy can come against us and seek to try to isolate us. There may be some of you in this, here this morning who the, the world, the flesh, and the devil is wanting you to give in and to give up. There's a pressure on your life saying it's not worth it. You're alone. If people really knew you, they would not love you. They would not accept you. They would not welcome you. You've tried this whole community thing before. You know how that goes. You're just going to get hurt. You're just going to give hurt. And what I believe that Jesus is calling us to this morning through His Word is that we set, as it were, if not, just, if not in reality, in our minds, in that chair tied up by the enemy, in that darkness, in that psychological warfare... We're called to grab on to those invisible dog tags and to remember who we are. That we are a people who have been baptized in the name of Jesus. A people who have been baptized into the kingdom. A people who, as we read here in Acts 2, 36 through 41, who have been added. Added to what? Added to the church added to that, that people that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And what the enemy wants to do is to isolate us and to break us and get us to think that there's, there's no mission that's worth this, that there's no community that we are called to. We're called to remember that we do not just have an individual disciple identity, as important as that is, and we took all last week to talk about, but we have a communal identity. This goes back to the beginning in the garden. Adam is not just called to live a life of, of ultimate, intimate relationship with God, walking with Him in the cool of the day. As great as that is, but even from the beginning, in that very good beginning, we hear it is not good for man to live alone. And we see very quickly that that's not just about marriage. But these first humans are called to multiply and fill the earth. That this community is to grow. And as sin comes into the world, and this is fallen and fractured, when Abraham is called out from the nations to, to be this redeeming instrument of God's renewing and restoring of all that was broken and lost, we see that he is called to do this as a family. And not just a family that would only be about serving their own needs, but in Genesis 12, he's called to be a family that would bless the nations. If you've missed it before, Abraham in so many ways is just giving a, a renewal of that promise, that calling, that covenant that was given to, Abraham, to Adam. Abraham, now you go and multiply. Now I will make you a great nation. I will make your children great. I will make you this so that you are a blessing to the nations. Israel, we might say, was the first missional community. They were called to live as a people committed to the blessing of their neighbors and the nations. 
That had a very different form in the Old Covenant than it does now in the New. But it was the seed of something that Jesus would come. So there's no, there's no surprise when we read this Great Commission that what we find in it is even a renewal of that Abrahamic covenant. Jesus says, now all authority has been given to me. Now you go, just as Abraham was called to have this family that goes and blesses the nations, now you're called to go and live as this family that makes disciples of all the nations. Matthew chapter 1, 1, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The bookends of that great book of Matthew tell us this is what God wants us to be as His people and to remember who we are. So when we talk about missional communities and we say things like a missional community is not merely a Bible study, not merely a social service group, not merely a group to encourage one another, not simply a small group where we go to learn or go deeper or have community. We're not saying that we don't do those things. Don't, don't get that twisted. We do all of those things. But what we want to emphasize is we're called to be a family who lives to be a blessing to other people. We're called to take up the torch of this calling that Jesus gave Adam, that Jesus gave Abraham, that Jesus gave His disciples, that that's what it means to be the church, that that's what it means to be baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, that we go out in these baptismal identities. And I, I wish that I had time this morning to go and connect you with how so many faith traditions speak so in, in such theologically and biblically robust ways about how important it is that we understand our Trinitarian identity that we have in this baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I just want to say that to you, and you can go study that on your own, is we've not just pulled this out of the air. So a lot of you guys know we're a part of a larger family of churches called the Soma Family of Churches. And we've learned a lot from them. But this is not like a, a Soma thing. Right? A discipleship identity in the, in the baptism. This is not like something that's just like, hey, this is, this is a model. This is something that's rooted in a grand story. Now, it might look different ways. The cup might look different for how that's fleshed out. But what I want us to see is that the gospel vehicle rooted from Genesis to Revelation is that God's people would carry this mission forward and they would do it together as a people who've committed to bless others. That's what we're talking about. That's what we mean when we say being a family of servant missionaries. So when we're pressured by the enemy, the world, the flesh, the devil, to say what who we are doesn't matter, what we're doing doesn't matter, what is the point, then we're called to remember that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we have been baptized, we have been anointed, we have been called to be this people together. This is who we are. So we're going to go through this in this text today and flesh this out, connecting to the Great Commission in Acts 2. Like I've said in this series, this might not seem as expositional as some of you uh, are used to, but another way we want to do in this series is touching on some tools we use in our culture. So here's a few things we're going to use this morning that are good for you to know, especially if you're new and good for you to be reminded of if you're not. As we talk about these four main questions, okay, so who is God? 
What has God done in Jesus or what is the gospel? Who am I or who are we? And what should I do? That's very important in the life of our church, right? We've said this from the beginning. And whether you ever come back to our church again, I just want to tell you, this are really good questions to use to study the Bible. It's really good question to use to, to study the world, to listen to music, to watch movies, to think about your own story in your life, is, hey, who is God in this story? What's he like? What has God done in Jesus? How does this point me to the gospel? Who am I? What does this say about my identity? Or who are we? What does that say about who we are together? And now, if I really believe that, what would look different in my life? What would, it, what would change? And then we're going to talk about four H's. Like we usually just talk about three, but four H. Some of you remember what that is. But anyway, uh, head. So how does this affect my thinking? Loving the Lord God with all my mind, right? Our heart, our desires, our emotions, our expectations. Hands, obedience, putting it to action, prayer, purpose. And then the, new, the other H I'm just going to say is help. And I'll get to you to, to how, that, how do I need other people to help me do that. And then, we've not talked about this in a long time, we're going to talk about these D's, the letter D, and that is distant. So where am I out in relation to this life that Jesus is calling me to? Am I distant? Am I deepening? Am I being developed? Or am I being deployed? All right, so we're going to come back to those, but I want to give you that framework, those kind of hooks to hang these things on. The first thing we see here in this text that we're going to underline is baptized in the name of the Father, we are family. So if we were to go to this Great Commission text, we're baptized in the name of the Father. What does that say about who God is? Well, that's easy, right? It tells us in the text. He's our Father. We don't need to skim over that. That is a radical statement that comes with a lot of experiential engagement in our lives that to some people, like, I don't know what it means. So when I hear a father, I don't hear good news, right? So when we say that God is a father, he is a good father. How do we know he's a good father from the Great Commission? Because he's a father who wants you. He's a father who pursues you. He's a father who says, I see you. He's a father who secures you. He cares for you. Whatever your experience with an earthly father is or has not been, he is a good, good father. We used to sing a long time ago, right? And what has he done? Question two. How do I know he's a good father? Because he has sent his son Jesus, his eternal son who lived in eternal fellowship, to make me a part of his family, to make me his child. In the Bible, there's two images given for this. There's the new birth, where we are born again to have the right to be the children of God. But there's also this, this picture of adoption. That's right. That's why both of these ways that our families grow in this world are pictures of the gospel. Whether it's through childbirth, whether it's through adoption, it's a picture of what God has done for us through Jesus. And so who does that make us? Who am I? Well, individually, who am I? I am a beloved child of God. I remember my baptism no matter what I'm going through on any given day and I know I'm a beloved, chosen child of God. But who are we then? That means that we are family, whether you like it or not. 
and not family in some vague metaphorical sense. We are blood family. Because we have been united through the blood of Jesus. This was weird in the early church's context. But every week when we take this cup, we're not only just remembering of a blood that was shed for us, but we're remembering a blood that flows through all of us and unites us together. We are family. When we talk about living as family, I want to make this really clear. That is not a metaphor. Lots of metaphors in the Bible. Jesus says we're family. Nothing you do makes you family. You don't have to do anything. It's just it. You are, right? You didn't get to pick your brothers and sisters, your aunts and uncles, and you don't get to any in the church. Now, you can stay away from people. You can, like, not like that. But just so we all know, that's just reality. That's just gravity. We're family. How do we see this fleshing out in the book of Acts? <coughs> because what we see here is getting a picture here of the Great Commission being lived out. What are they doing? Verses 42 and 46 point us to this. Well, first of all, they gather together. And they do it in two different ways. They gather in this large group in the temple where they're hearing the apostles do a public proclamation of how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. It's what we do here, right? It's what the, why we would have this Sunday gathering teaching time, what that's patterned off of. But what do they also do? And they get in each other's homes. They get in each other's homes. They get in each other's lives. I mean, that's what family does, right? Wouldn't it be interesting if in your biological families you're like, guys, if, if we're going to have a, an important conversation, we're going to have to go rent out a facility. No, we wouldn't do that, right? They are Jesus-centered people who talk about Jesus beyond the planned place. That's one of the things that really drew me into this vision of what it means to be the type of church that we aspire to be is when people talk about Jesus in relationships where they're not being led by a professional Christian. I mean... You might, we might take that for granted in our church, but some of you still remember being a part of, of churches or fellowships where it's like it would be very rare for people to have a meaningful conversation about their life with Jesus just over supper together. But this was to be the norm because that's what families do. What are they also doing? They're learning together. right? They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? It's, it's what Jesus said in the great command. It's teaching them to obey all that they've commanded. So there's this, there's this space where it's like, okay, we were in the temple. The apostles preached this. Now what are we going to do? Now we're going to go get together with our friends and we're going to talk about what they did and how we can obey it together. Right? If you just want to know the heart of what a missional community is, is, is what Jesus commanded us to do. How's he empowered us to do this through the gospel? Now how can we do it together? And we'll get into more of why we do that in front of other people as well. They share life together. They love one another. Oh, we could say so much. What is this rooted in? Well, it's what Jesus had just done. Right? He told them, who are my mother and my brothers in Matthew chapter 12? He says, my mother and brothers are those who do the will of the Father. 
Like this, this is my family. In Galatians chapter 4, it talks about how we've been born again into this family and the Spirit gives us this communal cry of Abba, Father. We talked last week about how disciples is the second most used word to refer to Christians in the New Testament. You know what the most used is? It's brothers, sisters. If you grew up in a culture like I did, and, and I had many great things from I, it, it would get kind of sickening, everybody saying brother this, sister this, right? Like this backslapping thing. Because it just kind of felt like, yeah, you call each other that, but y'all don't even know each other. But just like last week, we, we said we're gonna, we want to redeem the quiet time. We might need to, to redeem the brother-sister language. It's very biblical, by the way. Very biblical. And just because something has been misused and turned into a cliche does not mean that it doesn't have meaning. It has ultimate meaning. And there's something about language that shapes culture when it's understood, right? And when we think of one another as brother and sister, it might actually change how we love one another. It might actually force us or lead us into an obedience. We seek to live as family. So many things here that could, could be said, but as we live as family, we experience that we can be known, we can be loved, and we can belong. We've experienced a lot of this here. I got to experience this this morning. So look at my first Christmas card of the year for Mr. Daniel Eugene George Cudd sitting right up there. Daniel's my brother, right? And not recently, and he's, he's all our brother. And he's bringing me a Christmas card. Why, why would he bring me a Christmas card? Because we're, we're family, right? We're family. In, in, a, in about an hour and a half, we'll be, Daniel will be sitting in my living room with a, with a bunch of you other folks, and we're going to have a meal together. And we're going to laugh and say off-the-wall stuff. We're going to reflect on what it means, to, what we're learning from this sermon this morning. We're going to dream about what it might look like for us to create more space and opportunities for other people to come and join in that. And we just need to remember, like, that's... We're just doing what they did here. That's what we're trying to do. I asked people to share some things, and so a couple examples that some, some people shared, you know, what families looked like for them, is said that people in our missional community will come over to our house for dinner and watch movies regularly. I mean, if you don't think that matters, that, that's huge, right? We hang out, we watch movies together, we have in-depth conversations about the movie afterwards and how that connects to the kingdom of Jesus, Somebody else said they've experienced in the Deer Park MC how people rearrange their schedules to help with their child, to, to help during a funeral and other hard life situations. And then I witnessed this the other night. We were out walking downtown during Halloween, and there, there's the whole Deer Park missional community trick-or-treating together. Just enjoying life with one another. And it makes you scratch your head and say, what would bring this group of diverse people together? that now go and walk the streets and get candy. It's, it's Jesus. We're family. It's in a program. It's an identity. 
I thought about myself and all the wonderful ways that I've experienced family here. One of the things at the beginning of our church was just, just I, I just, I just know that I cannot be a, a pastor who has to pretend. Been in that, like, what's the law of leadership, right? You've got to be up here. They'll never grow farther than you are, healthy or whatever. I mean, there needs to be a high standard. I, I just can't live up to that. I'm just a super needy of Jesus, broken person. And I'm really thankful to be a part of a church where I don't have to hide that. I don't have to pretend. A lot of times when we think about family, we think about these great times, but also what family means is that we hurt one another and we need forgiveness. We disappoint each other. We don't meet each other's expectations. We don't even clarify our expectations. It gets messy. It gets mangled. But because family is not an activity we do, but an identity that we share, we know that we can come back to the table with one another. This is not a drive-in community. This is not an individualistic, back-slapping, empty brother-sister talk. This is not, we're going to have fellowship, which means we're just going to eat fried chicken in a fellowship hall and then go on about our everyday lives. It means we love one another. We talk about the unhealth in our family. We live this out. So to those four H's, this is really hard. Everybody in here, when you hear the word family, you probably immediately have a different experience, different definition, and a different set of expectations that come into that. That's why so many of us hear this, and it sounds like good news, then you do it for three to six months, and you're like, I don't, I, I don't, this is not what I thought it was going to be. If, you can be honest about that. Everybody in here that's been a part of our church has experienced that, or at least I have, right? Like, when I heard family, I thought it was going to be like how close we were in my dorms in college. Right? And then you got another family over here who's just struggling to get, get to a family meal once a week. Right? We're bringing all these things into it. That's, that's where discipleship happens. It's when we lean in at those points of tension. And so, head, heart, hands, help. You may say, hey, when it comes to family, what do I need to learn? Right, So this is about you, and this is about us taking ownership for our discipleship. So these just aren't words. What do I need to go learn about family? What do I need to learn? Heart, move to heart. What do I need to learn about my family story? Am I coming into this missional community expecting them to, to, to kind of heal some wound in my story that I've not yet even acknowledged or know? Am I bringing a set of expectations that I'm not even sharing or stating with anybody and maybe I don't even know what they are? Am I bringing idols into this space of control, of approval, of performance, of comfort? And then hands. What, what do I need to do to actually live as family? It's easy for us to show up and live in missional community life and say, that's not really family. But the question that comes back to us is, what am I doing in obedience to Jesus to live as family? We're a church that believes in the priesthood. That we're not, this is not a, a leadership top down, like, hey, I'm here, you give me a family experience, right? We want to have leadership, but you, part of that is you saying, I'm showing up as family. So what does that mean I'm going to do in obedience to Jesus? What are the one and others am I going to practice? And then the fourth H is help. So if you're like, I don't know, then ask for help, right? Be humble, 
Come to one of your pastors. Come to your missional community leader. Come to somebody else that's been around a little while longer and say, I really need help. This does not feel like family to me. I don't know where I fit. Help me. Right? That's the first step before criticism is help me understand and help me live into this. And then to those D's, just very quickly, is you need to locate yourself when it comes to where you are in this family identity. Or you'll just become disillusioned and drift. So you need to just do some honest work and say, right now, in relationship to the family of God, whether you're in a missional community or not, I know many of you can't, can't do that. We still love you, right? But in your relationship to whatever intentional community that you're in following Jesus, am I distant to that? If you are, maybe a step for you would be to step into the life of a missional community. Just, but maybe you're in one, and if you were honest, you're just kind of holding yourself back. You're distant. You need to ask the Spirit, what's the step that I need to take to come closer? And Jesus is very patient with you. Right? This is not cookie cutter. Just ask Him, what's the step you would want me to take? To the next one, maybe you're not distant, maybe you're there. But you know, it's time for me to go deeper. It's time for me to go deeper. Holy Spirit, what, what step would you have for me to take to go deeper? Is there something I need to learn? Is there a book I need to read? Is there, a, is there passages of Scripture that I need to study? And then you may, you may be like, man, I'm here. I'm all in. But I, I, I need to be getting developed in my gifts and my leadership. And you need to go to your missional community leader or wherever you're at, and you need to say, I want you to train me more specifically to discern my gifts and to know how to utilize them to make this community on mission stronger. You know, like, I, I could help with kids. I could help with food. I want to learn how to lead discussions. I want to know how to talk to people who are strangers. I want to know how to have small talk with people. Already. Like, development. And then the last one, deploy. You may be saying, I want to I lead a missional community. Right, but, but I really need help in this family aspect. Because people get on my nerves after a while. Or, or I, I don't know how to, to handle family conflict. Right? And you say, well, hey, we, we can train you to do that and help you give a pe team of people around you so to do that in a healthy way. All right, we got to move on. So that's family. Next is servants. They live as their disciples as servants. So not just baptized in the name of the Father, but baptized in the name of the Son. When we think about the Son, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, there's these deep connections to this theology of the servant king in the book of Isaiah. Right? In the backdrop of Jesus is the one who comes and who would be crushed for our iniquities, who would, who would give us life out of his death. He's called the servant of the Lord. And we don't have time, but if you study the Gospel of Matthew, you see it's deeply rooted in this Isianic background. Servant. This is why Jesus comes and he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. That, that, a piece of that is practical, but a piece of that is also positional. He is the servant king. So that's our question. Who is God? In Jesus, He is the servant King. What has He done? When He said, I did not come to be served, 
but two served, it follows with this line that I might give my life as a ransom for many. His service is sacrificial. His service is sacrificial to the world. He gives his life so that people would be saved, so that people would be served. But what does that make us then if we're baptized in the name of the servant king? Through our union with Jesus, we are now servants. Jesus washed his disciples' feet and he said, if I do this to you, you do this for one another. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, he tells this story of the parable of the, the sheep and the goats. And he says, you, remember when you served that person? Remember when that person who didn't have food, you gave them food? That person in prison, you visited them? That person who needed this? And they're like, no, we don't remember that. And what does he say? Inasmuch as you did to the least of these, you did unto me. This is who you are. Baptized into my name. This is why in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's, Paul's saying the same thing. He's challenging the church to be humble and to serve one another. And he says, why would you do this? He says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. That though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. We could go to 1 Peter 2. There's so many things throughout the New Testament. But we are called to be servants. To serve one another and to serve the least, the last, the lonely, the lost, the broken, the burnout, the bored, all these things that we think about. This is what we get. Why, why am I here? The dog tag. Servant. Servant. This is, this is why over these years it's been such a beautiful thing to see so many of us help, help one another move, right? Many of you here, if we did a raise of hands, hey, who, who's moved houses in here and had people help them move, right? I already see hands and I didn't ask, but there's a whole bunch, right? I'm one of them, right? Moving stinks, right? But we help each other move. We serve one another. We can do a raise of hand. Who's helped? Who's watched somebody else's kids? Who's invited somebody over for a meal? Who, I mean... We just need to celebrate these things, right? That matters. We've mowed so many people's yards. There's, there's some people, not just even that, that are here and would not regularly be on, but through our, mission, our common missions and our missional communities, I mean, we could name a couple uh, elderly ladies who we've moved several times, right? And, and I, I need to be careful what I say, but there's consequences for some of that sometimes that are hard. It's sacrificial service, right? We, we as American Christians, we like to take the sacrifice out of sacrifice. Sacrifice is hurt. Sacrifice is cost. It's, it's the Magnolia MC watching kids for professors on campus who I assume this afternoon uh, will be frantically running around making coffee for other students. Why? So that they can have a little respite in their week. Right? So that they can be served and loved. It's our sports MC going and picking up trash at a golf course when they could just be sitting at home or doing a trunk or treat for students. 
It's Deer Park, helping divorced families meet up and do childcare, having a coffee bar, partnering together to walk kids to school together, and on and on and on. It's, it's pitching in and getting an addict all the furniture they need so that they can get off the streets. It's giving of our finances. It's buying gas and groceries and temporary hotel rooms. It's me driving up the road and I just, I, I would never know it. And it's seeing a, a, a person in our church taking an elderly person to go get their prescriptions filled over and over again. And nobody, nobody would know it if it was like, why were, you, why were you there? There's so many things that could be said about this, but we have to move on. But we're called to live out our servant identity together. To make the kingdom of God tangible. One, one church planner said it this way that we used to say early on. If, if our church was to disappear from its community, or we might say this, if our missional communities were to be taken out of the context in which they seek to live as a family of servant missionaries, would anybody miss them? And I think I can say with confidence, and y'all know I'm not, a, I'm not trying to sound braggy or whatever. Trust me, we talk all the time about the bad things. Why don't we just talk about the good things sometimes? Right? I really think they would be. And I'm so grateful for that. But I want you to remember that because I know it doesn't always feel like that. The reality is, is that if we just had a, a simple Bible study in our neighborhoods, those, those, I, I love studying the Bible. Y'all don't understand how much time and finances I've put into being trained to do it and want you to do it. But a Bible study happening in somebody's living room can come and go in your neighborhoods. And it'll benefit a few people that want to come do that. But when we take what God's Word teaches and we open ourselves to our neighbors and our friends and these people groups, then we live into that Abrahamic calling of being a blessing. And people say, oh man, I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they're here. So head, heart, and hands, real fast. You might be like, this servant thing... I want to grow as a disciple, so what do I need to learn about that? You might just go today and you say, Matthew 25, parable of sheep and goats. I'm going to study that and ask, Jesus, what do you want me to do? In your heart, service, just like community, is one of those things everybody wants to do until you do it. So in your heart, what idols are keeping you from serving people? Or what maybe wounds are keeping you from serving people? Where do you need healing? Where do you need forgiveness? Hands. What's a practical, tangible act of service I could do this week for somebody in my community or somebody who has yet to come into the family of God? And then back to help. Maybe you just lost. I don't know. Ask somebody. You'll notice the people who really are gifted at this, right? There's actually a spiritual gift of serving. Ask them to help you, right? That may not be your gift, but it's also a part of your identity. So say, help me. Like, I don't think like you do. You seem to notice how... You know, there's always that person who knows everybody's birthdays. That's a great gift, right? And you're like, I don't even remember my kids' birthdays or whatever. 
or my friend's birthdays, or I might forget my own birthday, right? You might go to that person and say, hey, help me. Will you remind me when it's people's birthdays? And I'm, I'm going to sacrifice some time and send them a text and tell them happy birthday. Go to Daniel and say, help me remember Christmas cards. And then you can do the same thing with those four Ds. When it comes to my servant identity, am I distant? Like, am I just staying away from that? Is there a way that I need to deepen my engagement through our missional community? Do I need to develop? Like, how am I serving? So if you're, if you're a part of this church or whether you're not, a tangible act of obedience is in your, in your missional community is just say, how can I serve in a practical way? You might want to serve this Sunday gathering. You might say, I'd be a greeter at the door. I would help put out chairs. I would work in children's ministry. I got a gift to sing or play an instrument. Whatever it is. But don't just leave it there. Think as you go into your workplace, how can I serve? In your dorm room, in your suite, in your home, right? Don't be the pro-church servant who comes home and throws your feet up in the house, right? It's your identity. Lastly, missionaries. We're baptized in the name of the Spirit. Now, how do we get to missionaries? I want you to see here that this is not just like forcing some kind of thing, Jesus, onto the text. From the very beginning of the story, what do we see? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is not a force, is not an energy. The Spirit of God is an eternal person of our triune God. But He acts in a, in a creative way that extends the blessing of who our triune God is into visibility, into action. It says, Jesus said, the wind blows and you don't, see, you don't know where it's coming from. You can't see it, but you can see it. You see its effects. It's the Spirit of God that comes upon people in the Old Testament and moves them into action. The judges, the prophets, the kings. And it's the Spirit of God. Go study the book of Luke. What has God done in Jesus that empowers all of the ministry of Jesus? The Spirit that leads Him into the wilderness. The Spirit that empowers Him in healing. The Spirit of God, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me that I might proclaim the good news. What has God done through the Spirit, through Jesus? He has brought us the good news. He has went to the cross. He has died for our sins. He has risen to give us new life. This is why in the book of Acts, before this, what we read today... Jesus says, wait for the Spirit, because when the Spirit comes upon you, what will you be? You will be my witnesses. Baptized in the name of the Spirit, we are witnesses. If missionary feels like a word too far for you, or you think it kind of in some ways demeans or denigrates foreign missions, then just put the word witnesses in there. Or go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and put the word ambassadors in there. Because Paul says there, we who have been reconciled have been given a ministry of reconciliation as those who are new creations. And how are we made new creations? Through the Spirit. Through His regenerating, sanctifying, setting apart work. So who does this say that we are? We are missionaries. 
We are the sent people of God. Jesus says to those first disciples, and I believe wants us to hear these words in John 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And what's the next verse? And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, this is why when persecution comes upon the church and the church is forced out of Jerusalem, it says all the church was scattered except the apostles. And guess what happened? The church grew like wildfire without the apostles. How did that happen? They took away their public proclamation in the temple and the church grew like wildfire. Why? Because they embraced that they were a people and dwelt and sent with the Holy Spirit. And they didn't need professional Peter there to do his thing, although that was good. They knew that, as Peter says in 1 Peter, they were a royal priesthood sent to proclaim the excellencies of His mercy to the world. This is what Jesus modeled for them in Matthew chapter 9, why our church is called Matthew's Table, that we can call our friends together, our neighbors, the nations, to a table and have space for them to see our family identity and our servant identity creating space for others who may belong in that space before they believe. But it gives us that missionary context that we might proclaim. The gospel has to be shared. We know that the spirit of the, the old phrase, share the gospel if necessary, use words, right? We get the spirit of that. That's why we think serving so important. So I'm, I'm not hating on that. But you got to proclaim. It's got to have words. The gospel is a message. It's good news that there's forgiveness, healing, and deliverance through the finished work of Jesus, that you can be freed from everything that you could not be freed. Again, we've experienced this. All our stories don't end in the ways that we'd hoped they would. But one beautiful, beautiful thing was one young man that we were able to love in our church was living in the woods with a Home Depot bucket for a bathroom. Before long, through coming to our family meals, he became literally almost a part of our family, living with us for some nine months. And many of you helped us love this guy. And it was a love where the gospel was shown, proclaimed in many ways, and we were blessed to be able to baptize him and to see him at least for that season, and we're trusting for more to experience what it means to be a part of a family that is a part of a bigger mission than anything this world could offer. Someone in Deer Park shared that they've experienced these deep friendships where the gospel has been shared to other people who are not treated as projects, but as friends. And it breaks your heart when your friends leave or move, but you love them as friends. In Magnolia, just recently... Right? Again, a big part of how we do this is in these spaces that we create through our missional communities is we learn to share our stories with Jesus as the hero and we share it. And I know just last week two people did that in the Magnolia MC. And it's a way that we not only hear the gospel to one another, but we can bring our friends and neighbors and they can hear it in that context. And then we learn how to go and do that in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our everyday lives. We live out our missionary identity together, but it's not a drive-by mission. It's not a service project. 
It's these words we've used and continue to use that we feel like we see in in, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, is we want to be a faithful presence somewhere. We want to be, as we said, the short-term mission trip that never ends. Right? We're not there to just do something and leave. We're going to keep showing up. And that's where it gets hard. Because it moves way beyond the photo op, way beyond the, the exchange of a decision. It's like, no, we're going to proclaim the gospel together in our lives. We have to be present to be missionaries. We have to be prayerful. I want to ask you now, who are you praying for to come to know Jesus? We need names. Uh, it's not to guilt or shame anybody, but we, if we're going to live in this missionary identity, we need to be praying for people by name to come to know Jesus, or we need to be praying that God will give us those names. Or we're forgetting why we're doing all this in the first place. Right? We've been left to be His witnesses. So who are we seeking to, to witness to? There's another old school name to bring back, right? Quiet times. What was the one I said earlier? I already forgot. Anyway, witnessing, right? Living our lives as witnesses, as signs of the kingdom who speak out unashamed of the gospel in winsome and timely, relevant ways. But we pray, we proclaim, and we trust for the Spirit's power and we persevere. So in terms of head, heart, hands, where are you at on that? Not be like, that scares me to death. I don't know how to share my story. I don't know how to share the gospel with somebody. Ask for help. Consider what's in your heart, the fears that are there, and take a step of obedience. So we may not have dog tags. I mentioned this several weeks ago as we come to the Lord's table. But uh, I used to think this was just a Roman Catholic thing, but I've, I've did some study on it. I don't think it's that. You don't have to do it. But this ancient discipleship tool of doing the sign of the cross. When do people do this in the history of the church, early church, right? Name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do this, but this is something that I've begun to do to help remind me of this identity. The name of the Father, I am a beloved child of God, and I'm family. I have family. In the name of the Son, I am served and made a friend of Jesus through His sacrificial death. And I am a servant. We are servants. In the name of the Holy Spirit, I am indwelt and empowered by God. And I am sent as a missionary. These could be your dog tags, right? The enemy's coming against you. Why are we doing this? Why are we here? What's the point? Because this is who I am. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Called to live a life of missional community as a family of servant missionaries. Father, we thank you for this time today. <coughs> Excuse me. We ask you now as we come to the table that we would remember that you gave yourself for us, Jesus, that we might know covenantally, securely, that we are forgiven of our sins and empowered to live the life you've called us to live. May we taste and see that reality just now. In Jesus' name, amen.